I'm Paul Hamill and you're listening to the Grassroots Coach Podcast, a podcast for grassroots soccer enthusiasts. Because of where we're situated, we're not a very populated area, so we would always have to supplement our own number of players at 16 with maybe some Irish players or a couple of players from different countries in the EU. But now we can't do that, so there's a bigger emphasis on us to make sure we have a higher number of players coming through. But also, it's probably driven a, a national recruitment model. A byproduct of that is driven the prices up for young players uh, within the UK. In this episode, I speak to John Morling, Academy Manager at Brighton Football Club, and Pat Cleary, Head of Youth Development at Bohemians Football Club where we discuss the impact of Brexit on Irish players moving to English clubs and the opportunities that this presents. The first topic I want to talk about is the implication of Brexit on Irish players going to, to England in particular. So, John, in, in a nutshell, what, what, what is it? What has been the change from, as you're saying, you're, you're heavily involved in recruitment of players. What's the main difference between pre-Brexit and, and now? big difference is that Irish players can't come to England till 18, whereas pre- previously you could come at 16 and start your scholarship um, under 17 and under 18. But uh, now it's you've got to wait till uh, the players are 18 before they can come to the UK. Okay. So that that is particularly well, particularly from an Irish perspective, is a huge change. It's a big change, yeah. Very big change. And presumably... Yeah, so this is this is for any player in the in the European Union now outside of the UK. No, it's it's different. But yeah, we can't in the UK you can't sign anyone under the age of eighteen. But when you get to eighteen, if you're in any other European country, you've got to fit a GBE criteria, which is a work permit criteria to play in England. Whereas if you're Irish, you don't need a work permit. You can come in at eighteen. So that's that's still. A, a positive from from that respect that you don't sure. have to be a criteria. However, that's a big big change. Not being able to go into eighteen instead of sixteen. Some mm. people might say it's a plus. Some people might say it's not. Yeah, um, depends on where you sit really on that, and whether you're a player, parent, club. What's right for one at one particular time ain't going to be right for someone else at a different time. You know. Um, so that that's the big that's the major change yeah, at the moment. And I, I I don't know how that network works for you, but but would you still be getting Irish players coming to you under eighteen? Like, is, do you think that that people fully understand that yet or not? Um, I don't know if that if everyone understands it. Obviously, you would still have a network of staff looking at players. Of course, you would from our point of view in, in Ireland. Um, and if there were still players at 18 that you would think that would be good enough to come into uh, a, a professional club or suit the needs of what you want at that particular time, then you would still do that. But obviously, we would, because of where we're situated, we're not a very populated area. So we would always have to supplement our own number of players at 16 with maybe some Irish players or a couple of players from different countries in the EU. 
but now we can't do that. So there's a bigger emphasis on us to make sure we have a higher number of players coming through. But also, it's probably driven a, a national recruitment model, more so from our point of view. So bringing players in from further afield within the UK, but obviously going a little bit more of a full-time model where at 14 players might come and school here full-time rather than coming at 16, as an example. Um, and then obviously from a, a byproduct of that, it's driven the prices up for young players uh, within the UK. Because um, so the, the supply and demand, the pool is smaller, the supply chain is smaller. Yeah, the, mm. all of the pool's smaller and the demand's higher. So that's that's what it will that's what it end up really in the recruitment market now in the UK. Really. Okay, past the the implication for <clears throat> players here, and particularly in relation to to Bohemians where you are. What um, what does it mean? Yeah, there's pluses and minuses. Um, we can have players for longer, which with some clubs is a plus, but with others isn't. I mean, why would you deny? a 16-year-old that basically just wants to be a footballer and the time is right for him to go to a place like Brighton, work with top coaches, top facilities, play against better players overall than the ones you play against here. Um, it probably makes it a little bit more difficult for them. A bit more difficult. They've got to be, you know, keep that dream going to a later age rather than at 16, you know, you're gone, you're away. Not now, you won't be. Um, other things have happened as well. I've had a lot of European agents on and European clubs, a number of European clubs looking for players. Um, I haven't spoke to a few of them, a few of the clubs in particular. Um, they said they never considered Irish players because the English clubs had the market thrown up. But now they're beginning to look here now. And there's only there's a few that will possibly grow over the next number of years because they realise they can get the Irish lads now without any competition or direct competition from England, which makes their job a little bit easier and makes it more tempting to come in here and look for things. Sure. Really interesting. And, and I know the European thing is obviously quite new and building relationships up, relationships up with new, whether they're agents or whoever your, your links are, the people you link with. But, you know, the other barriers, you know, the kind of the the barriers of going to Europe, the, the language barrier, the culture yeah. barrier, um, it feels like a long distance away, although maybe it's it's a it's a flight away. How how is that? How do you think that's going to catch on with the, with the Irish youngsters and their parents as well, in particular? From talking to a few kids, um, they've saw a few young players. Some of them are doing German in school instead of doing a different subject or doing French or something like that, just in case. There's all that open broad. So you've got likes of Belgium and Holland and large parts of Spain as well, where the language they speak English anyway. There's a lot of English spoken, so it's not that bad. Mm. So and there's some some of them are starting to think that way. Not loads of them, it's not a big thing, but there's a few have said to me, yeah, they're doing French now or they're doing German now, because that opportunity if it comes along, they jump at it. Much described there in terms of um you know, if you're if you're getting more players in from the UK to fill that sort of 16 uh, age group or teams of that age group, is that going to even make it more difficult for the Irish player as when they become 18? Because I presume once you're in the system in Brighton, it's probably harder to get into it than to fall out of it. 
I think there'll be less players going to England. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, it'll only be the top players at that particular time. Um, so there would be definitely less players. But as Pat said, on the flip side of that, it might open up the French or Dutch market, Belgian market, etc., etc., to, to Irish players, which would never really, not many people would have thought of before Spanish market, etc. So there's a there is a there would be an upside to that um, as well. And what is the upside to that? I know. Listen, you, you spent a long time in Ireland uh, with the FAI and with myself. So <clears throat> what's the upside to that? Is is it just you know, being exposed to different playing styles, is ultimately the, the Irish senior team going to benefit from that potentially as opposed to being in a, a traditionally English system? I think if you've got a player and he's progressing as a footballer and going to somewhere where he's going to play against better players in better facilities in a better league than what he's doing at the moment, I think that's a plus, no matter what country he goes to. And if mm. he's learning a different culture and a different way of playing, etc., as well, I think that's a great, from a lifestyle point of view. Um, and I think it, it broadens everyone's horizons. I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. And then the more players you can get playing at the top level at various ages, the better. Mm. So ultimately, the more you have the best football experiences they they could they can get, will ultimately benefit the senior team at some point. Sure. So instead of mm. coming to England, someone goes to Real Madrid or Barcelona or Vitesse Arnhem or FC20, wherever it might be, that's, that's, that's a great thing. Because people have said to me on the podcast already that I suppose if you're good enough and if, for example, the Premier League is the, the best league in the world, um, you will end up there if you're good enough, regardless of whatever route you take or if it's the Serie A or whatever the the best leagues are, they will they will pick you up eventually if you're good enough. I think you can say you can say that for most leagues in the world, like you can say with PSG or if you're in Spain or Barcelona or Real Madrid, the the Champions League teams really are the ones that would pick players up no matter where they will be at whatever ages. Obviously, rules rules dictate number twenty now once they're playing in someone's first team. Um, so, yeah, it could be could be that you end up back in the Premier League. It could be that someone comes to UK eighteen. Could be that they now go to various different countries around Europe. Um, so that, that's a it's just different. Yeah, well, that's it. And everybody, um, when change comes along, obviously there's always resistance to it, and and it, it can take time. Do you know when you hear people saying things like like if a young it does not be an Irish player, but a young player that goes to an English club and then gets loaned out to the lower divisions where the style of play might be very dif- uh, different and stuff like that, um, is the European opportunity different in that in that regard? So if you know, because obviously younger lads let possibly less physically developed and stuff like that. And I don't know whether that's true, John. Maybe it's a really good thing if they go down the divisions to play. Yeah, sometimes it benefits players going out on loan. Sometimes it's not for them. So it's, it's really down to it, each indigi- individual player's circumstance at that particular time. So it might suit a player to go and play in League Two. Uh, I'll give you an example. Ben White, as an example, he went and played in League Two, then he went and played in League One, then he went and played in the Championship, and that's probably the poster boy of loans, if you like. It will work perfect. Or we have other players that Robert Sanchez that went and played in the lower leagues, and now he's 
in the Spanish team and in the Euro. So it's worked for them and other players. Um, Aaron Connolly, as an example, was going to go out alone. He was top scorer in the 23s, was going to go out alone to Luton in January, got injured. He only went then for the last couple of weeks and he's been at Brighton all the time. So what's right for, for you, you've really got to try and match what each player's individual needs are at that particular time. So with that, going with, with our players going to play in Belgium, uh, in the second division in Belgium, with our players going to play in the second division in Germany. So yeah. again, it might suit some, some players can go and play in Germany. It's not a problem to them. And they'll yeah. be able to handle that. Some can't. Some could only play in England. Similar to what you're saying now with some Irish players maybe going to Italy or to Spain. Some, some it'll suit mm. and some it won't. So it's really down to each individual at that particular time and trying to match what's best for them in order to move to the next step and then you do the same again each time. Uh, is there any um, indicators as to what European clubs think of the Irish player or is it too early to say it? It's probably too early at the moment. So there's been a couple of kids away already. Um, we haven't had any, but there's been a couple around. There's been one at Inter Milan for a bit and there's been a couple in Holland. So, um, you know, but they seem to go on okay. But it may massively improve the chances of going through and benefit English clubs because getting that experience at 16 and 17, you know, can stand them in good stead. And if they're not, they're not signed there, they may still, or even they have an offer there, they may look at a premiership club, you know, and think, well, you know, can I have a go there as well and just see what it's like. And if they're good enough, they'll get the opportunity. But the English club would then be getting a more rounded player. They're getting someone that's played different styles and different systems and that to what we would play here or, you know, maybe they'd play there. Although in Europe, they'd probably tweak that themselves anyway. But um, I think that's important. That also, um, there's, you know, there's all the things about diet, but the diet now is nearly becoming universal for footballers. So no matter where they go, they will, they will start to learn to eat properly. And that's going to be really important because I spoke to John about this before and other people in England and asked them what was the biggest problems they had with Irish lads going over. And one of the huge ones was diet. He said the diet was so poor, so bad, compared to lads they've had from the age of eight, nine years of age who have been educated right through that. So that sort of thing is really important at our end to have right, and that will knock on as well through everything. See, we've talked about players going to UK and Spain and loads of different countries in Europe, not really talked about players staying in Ireland. Sure. There's an opportunity now about players staying in Ireland, but also then for clubs now to raise their levels and standards to make sure that players could stay and not need to go away. But the levels of the clubs needs to come up for that to happen and um, not try and equal where the resources are so much different. I'm not saying that, but what, what I'm saying is if, if, if clubs then improve their levels and their standards, a player that might stay from 16 to 18 might just get in their first team at 18, 19 and end up staying whereby they would have left previous at 16. So that's an opportunity as well, really. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, sorry, Pat, Pat let, let me ask you just the question on that. So the, the, the underage League of Ireland academies, and just take that example earlier of a 16-year-old who may now now and in the future may, may be going to Europe as opposed to England. 
the, the, the choice of staying with the Bohemians to play under 17 in the under 17 national league or to go abroad is, you know, is, is that would, would still the better option be to go abroad or is, is it too early yet for the league of Ireland to be at, at a comparable level? It would depend largely on the player, hmm. the player themselves and um, some players it's right for them to go at a younger age others are still developing still have a lot of development to do so some will be better staying here a club perspective the ideal situation would be to keep them here have hmm. them in the first team and sell them on to England but that won't happen all the time and parents will make sure that as soon as they get a chance to go some parents will whip them off straight hmm. away yeah but, but I think it's important that, you know, by staying, they can improve, but it's got to be very important what club they're at. You know, there are clubs that will put in the finances and work on the facilities and work on getting everything right so as the players can improve to as high a level as they possible. There's other clubs who will pay lip service to it and don't really bother with the academy, with the kids and we'll go out and spend money or just get players who are released by somebody else. And that's mm. and that happens all over. That happens throughout Europe. You know, just clubs do that. But with the right club, there's no reason why they shouldn't stay. And when you're, when you're talking about club, you would be talking about a League of Ireland club that is in that underage yeah. structure. Yeah. yeah. John, the category one to category four of that, I mean, my limited understanding of that stuff is, I think, a company called Double Pass, isn't it, in Belgium? Yeah. where we're certainly involved in that. Pat, this may not be a question for you because you're not a regulator or whatever, but is, is there something similar in the underage League of Ireland academies where there is a kind of a different categories or regulation that you need to adhere to? It's been put in place at the moment. Okay. And the FAI are in the process of putting categories in place. Yeah. And it's, the, it's a club award scheme. So um, that's been... Drawn up, there's been certain a few things sent out to clubs to sort tease it out and start start putting the structures in place for that. Yeah. Over the next while, that should roll out in a big way. Um, Will Clark will have a big input into that. Sure. He's come in in that role, so um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it will be in place at the moment. No, not really. Okay. It's a club, but a, but a, but it's early, early days. Early days, very early days on it. Yeah, very early days. Just, just tell me the current structure of it. So it, it's it's under 13, under 15, under 17, under 19. Is that correct? It's 14, 15, 17 and 19 now. So 14 it's, is the new one that's come in, is yeah, it? It's done, they've done away with the 13s. Oh, okay. All right. Because 13s was deemed too young to be traveling all around the country and stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Is that a recent um, change? It's the full season of it. Yeah, this season starting now is the first one. And what, what is the season in, in the um, academies? It's um, basically, well, normally it would be March to around November. But of course, with COVID, with all that, it's been not. Sure. So um, it's a very different to the schoolboy yeah. school yeah. league. Yeah, way different. Yeah, I mean, mm. it's... Quite difficult, especially when there was no 14s, when it was 13s and 15s, and even now going 15 to 17s, that clubs have to, or players have to go, when they finish on the, the way it was, when they finish on the 13, they then have to play DDSL on the 14, mm. 
and go back. So the bigger, stronger ones signed for League of Ireland clubs when we finished 13, but the smaller ones didn't. They had to go play VVSL. And you saw players bouncing in and out of the league all over the place where it really needs to be just in a run, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, maybe, and then on to 19, so whatever from that. Okay, yeah. so that so that gap is now gone. So that that thirteen, well, one of them is yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah, thirteen one is gone. Yeah. No, well, that's uh, that sounds very positive. A little more, yeah, a little more, um, a bit smoother, more smoother, more yeah. direct run. <clears throat> and why? And why is the schoolboy season different? Like, is that does that cause challenges that they're you know so the the schoolboy yeah. season is about August to huge, May. Yeah, huge challenges because when you when people are trying to sign players. Mm. There's different transfer windows. There's stages where, um, especially at the start with the gap between 13 and 15, there was clubs that in another 14 league were losing half their players or another 12 league were losing half their players halfway through the season because League of Ireland clubs were signing them. Yeah. Clubs, you know, affected school-wide clubs really badly. And um, number of clubs are folded or they lost teams. Mm. Where they're playing... Some of them went on, some stopped playing, that sort of thing. And kids were looking at, parents were looking at it as if the, this was the be all and end all. And they still do, an awful lot do, that he doesn't sign at under 14 for a National League team. Well, then he hasn't made it. So the kid just deemed a failure, or the kid deems himself a failure when you know nothing could be further from the truth. But a number of kids have been lost to the game now. They've gone and maybe played Gaelic or basketball or something else, or you know, just lost the interest in it because at that young age, they have been deemed a failure. Now, over time, that will erode. That should erode to the extent that it's not the be all and end all to be there. You don't have to be in a League of Ireland set up at fourteen. That like, you know, you can go in there seventeen, you can go in there eighteen, in there nineteen, and we've had lads sign for the. Around our 19s, one lad this year that signed for them and never played ball before up to last year. Mm. And, he <laughs> and he's a heck of a player, he was hiding away somewhere. So mm. it shows that, yeah, once you're good enough, you know, opportunities will come your way and then you take it and don't lose. But the, but the fact that those seasons are still out of kilter, that still makes things oh, yeah. very difficult, doesn't it? It makes it difficult, yeah, it makes mm. it difficult because, like that, it affects schoolboy clubs hugely. Um, yeah. As, as you say, you could be, you, and, and because I'm involved in, in schoolboy football, is that you could have a squad of 16, and if three or four were, would be going mid-season, yeah. if, if they wanted to go to a League of Ireland or good enough and wanted to go, they, they'd leave. And then I probably am not able to sign three more at that stage or something. Is that yeah. correct? Exactly. And then what, uh, mm-hmm. one or two others might lose interest for me. And so now maybe five players, and you're really struggling to keep a team together. Yeah. Yeah, um, just uh, when you mentioned failure there, I think I think it's a, it's an interesting thing. Um, the perception of it, particularly particularly at the younger ages. And, and John, I'm going to just quote you here from a, an article I read recently, uh, and it doesn't matter who it is, but it happens okay. to be about Danny Danny Mandro. And I thought some of the things you said were, were brilliant in terms of um, the way you handle disappointment defines whether you fulfil your potential. Right now, you could apply that to any job or our employment not necessarily just footballers and i wouldn't say it didn't work out it was four years well spent and that's just the way it should be isn't it in terms of all your experiences 
I think so, but I'm not sure everyone would see it like that. Mm, sure, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, of course, if someone, like I mentioned, players that might have had free loans before they go in the first team, brilliant for all of them. And loans don't always work out. Mm. Now, they might not work out for for whatever reason, might not get in the team, uh, might get injured, um, various reasons, but they're not, they're not work. They're not not worthwhile. They still learn a lot from a lot. I mean, I speak to one of the players who would have went on a, a lower league loan, whereby they take the kit home, they wash it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The biggest thing for him would be because he was coming from a Premier League club, the senior players expecting to deliver. Whereas if you're in a a 23s environment, he still expects you to deliver, but there's a little bit more pressure on you because senior players just see you as a player that's coming in and you need to deliver. You need to play well. You need to do what we need you to do in order for our team to be successful. That's a, that's the biggest thing. And then whether it works or not work, uh, they'll gain valuable experiences for whatever they're going to next, whether that's another loan or closer to our first team, whatever it might be. So, I think loan experiences are very valuable. Um, now you have to be careful with what, you, where you place someone at, at that particular time. As I said, their individual needs are important, uh, but I think they're, they're vitally valuable going into a senior dressing room. John, I I, re- I think from what I listen to you, you, the the underage League of Ireland academies, the way to go is a, is, a, is a positive thing. Looking from afar and based on your previous experience here, I think. Um, you've got to have a structure whereby clubs need to take their development of players seriously. And I think the more importance you can put on that, the better. Um, if I look back 10 years ago when the EPP started, Elite Player Performance Plan, there was objections to that at the time. Major things that were put in place was, if you're going to be a category, category one club, you've got to provide the right number of coaching hours for your players. So as an example, like sevens, eights, nines, tens, like six hours plus a game, thirteens, fourteens, eight hours plus a game, fifteens, sixteens, twelve hours plus a game. If you can't do that, not category one. Hmm. So that there was, there was obviously opposition to that. And then you have to put in UA for B coaches, UA for A coaches, whatever it might be, physios, you need an indoor dome, whatever it, whatever all the, the, the criteria that was, that was put down at that particular time, you look back now 10 years and look back at before that was started and you say, right, English players predominantly play 4-4-2, uh, technically not as good as the Dutch or the Germans or wherever it might be. And now look at the team that's at the Euros. We, now, whether they do well or not is irrelevant, but the standard of the player that's there now, I think the EPP programme has a big plus to play in that um, in terms of the technically gifted players that are... And this, this is the English team you're talking about? Yeah. The English EPP, yeah. 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 Um, and that's been a big benefit to it's raised the level of what needed to be done at that particular time. And 10 years on, that's that's the result of it. And a similar thing needs to be done in whatever, whatever country you has raised standards and put importance onto it. And yeah clubs have to take it serious and I think there's a big opportunity now where players are not going to England at 16 they still might go to other countries but there's a big opportunity for clubs to really take their player development to another level and place a high amount of importance on it because the three, four, five, six, however many clubs do that 
will have the pick of them best players and it will benefit their first team, no question. So I think it's a big opportunity for clubs now at the moment uh, to do that. Um, and that comes from board level down, whether that means ring fencing money for youth development, whether that means going to find sponsorship solely for the development of the boys and girls in their st- structure, then, then so be it. But I think that's what I mean about think, thinking a little bit out of the box. You'd have, I'm sure there'll be businesses that would be happy to fund the development programme that might not be interested in funding the first team and vice versa. Hmm. But it needs people to go and put effort in and to go and do them things. Um, but I think there's a, I think it's a big opportunity for clubs. Before we finish up, I, I like to ask about a coaching tip or a coaching nugget. Some people kind of go, there is no such thing. But John, anything from your own coaching experience that you say is a one key thing you always do or a, or a go to for with your team, whether that's in a training session um, or how you how you approach it? Yeah, some I think something I picked up from long before I was with the FAI and. I visited the European Championships many, many years ago with with Noel O'Reilly and he, he said to me, you've got to know Johnny to coach Johnny. Mm. And that's how I've kept all the way along. And I think it's true. I think the better you know the players you're coaching or if you're a, I don't know, academy manager, the better you know your staff, the more you're going to get out of them. I think that's important. And the biggest thing you can give players or staff that you work with is your time. And I think if you look back to when we were kids and you picked a best teacher or a best coach, it would probably be the person that's invested the most time in you mm. and showed an affectionate to in one way, in some way, shape or form. Mm. So that's probably one of my... One yeah, and, and, and Noel has come up on the podcast and, and I, as I, because <clears throat> I worked at Noel for a while, um, I didn't realize Pat you were in Belvedere, so I'm sure sure you and Noel uh, know each other well. But the one thing I kind of I wanted to I'll talk about hopefully on another podcast is what what it is what what the qualities Noel had. What were they? Do you know? So it wasn't. I'm not, I'm not suggesting he wasn't a good coach or he wasn't very knowledgeable. But a lot of people are good coaches and are very knowledgeable. He had something else, and it's kind of linked to what John's talking about. He had that ability to connect. Um, and I think we can all learn from that because so many people reference now, God rest him. Sorry, Pat, same question to you, AA. Whether you want to pick up on that or your own uh, tips? Um, just on that, can I just say, Noel was absolute legend. Um, I knew him well at the Belvo. He ran the team a year younger than my team. So when we were stuck, we took some of his players as well and things like that. And we are going really well and he was brilliant. He was absolutely fabulous. Um the one thing, and it's something Noel always done as well, in fairness, was I'd say keep things simple. It's a simple game. It's idiots like us, the complicated, that try and think of phone numbers and play one, two, three, one, whatever. And Noel used to say, get them to pass the ball. Mm-hmm. If they pass the ball, they can play. And it's to keep things really simple. And the big thing I'd say on it, because we can all go on YouTube and look at a session. I have this with coaches all the time. Look at a session and it might be Ajax do this great training session and we run out and try it on Tuesday night and it's all over the place. They show the session when it's been done for a while. That might be the fourth stage. If you see that stage, walk back to make it as simple as possible. So you might have a third stage where you make it a little bit easier, then easier, and you come back to the starting point and always start back there and build up towards things. And, and not an easy thing to do. 
no, no, to no, simpl- no. simplify things. It's probably the opposite. It's very yeah. difficult to simplify it. Yeah, I remember that. What was it? Um, I'm not sure who it was. It was one of the coaches years ago. So it's all about simplicity is genius. Mm. You know, and that's what I think it might have been Bobby Robson was saying that and said, keep things simple. And it's so important because you've got you've got a chance to build it up from there. Then you don't go in, you don't make a mess of it. It's a simple game. Let's keep it simple. And I always remember Jared Hillier, if I can, just a number, a number of years ago, quite a while ago, um, in Birmingham at a, an FA conference when he said they had gone in, in France, they had gone 98% sports signs and 2% football when he took over as director of coaching. And he said, we flipped it. We've gone now, you know, 90% of football and much more, maybe 2 3% of sports science. And he said, he showed us a video of the place So we started to keep things simple. And there was Henri, Petit, Deschamps, all these lads, they were only 17 or so at, the, at that stage. And he said, this is what's happening. These are the future of French football. They've gone on a world, one World Cup swimming, you know? Keep it simple. Don't complicate it. It's, 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 it's great advice. And I think sometimes, you know, if, if you're a coach taking a session, but if you're performing in a way that you think somebody's watching you, you're almost trying to put on yeah. like what you think is almost like a perfect session where actually what you should be doing is breaking it down and keeping it simple because there's nobody watching you. It's your way. And if you believe in your, your way and what you're trying to achieve, that's the most important thing. Um, yeah, you don't have to impress anybody. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Need to impress, impress your players, yeah, and make sure they they uh, they understand. And as John was saying, that you make time for them, um, because how how often do I, I don't want to generalize, but how often do our players try and tell us stuff and we're not listening? You know, we're we're, we're moving on to the next thing, or it's the player's fault because he didn't pick up on what you were explaining. But actually, if he hasn't picked up on it, you, you haven't explained it well enough for him or her. Yeah, as they say, yeah. you haven't taught. I haven't teach them until they've learned. Yeah, they'll absolutely. And, and, and it can be frustrating and it can take time, but it's time well spent. The Grassroots Coach. Conversations for grassroots soccer enthusiasts.